one of the things that the Christmas season Christmas season gives us an opportunity to do is to take some time and to reflect on the story of how God became man. That's really what Christmas is. It's the story of how Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, was born so that He could live as a man and so that He could die for our sins. And there's so much about the Christmas story that you know really captures our attention and and we see, I was just commenting last night, actually, uh, I believe it was to Dr. Allman, how that, you know, I'm grateful that in our culture today that we still have the opportunity to take this holiday, this celebration of Christmas, and use it um, to uh, share the gospel and to tell um, people about what Jesus did. And of course, we think about, you know, all the traditional characters of the of the Christmas story. You've got of course, baby Jesus, front and center, but always you have in the manger scene, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's the shepherd, there's the wise men, and there's the drummer boy, right? All of those biblical characters that are right there. No, the drummer boy wasn't there. I still, I, I, I don't understand where he came from, but that's, that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Uh, but as we read through the early uh, chapters of especially Matthew and Luke, and we read about the story of Christ's birth, um, it's astounding to me that nearly without exception that everyone who heard about the birth of Christ or the birth of John the Baptist who was going to be the forerunner of Christ responded the same way. And that was with overwhelming praise to the Lord. Christmas ought to be a joyful time of year a time to celebrate that God has sent His Son to earth to be our Savior. We sang the song tonight, Joy to the World. As the angels said in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that's what this time of year should be about. It should be about remembering that God sent His Son to be our Savior. A time to remember the blessings of God. A time to rejoice. A time to praise the Lord for all that He has done for us and for all that He is for us. In Luke chapter 1, we find a little bit of the backstory of Christ's birth. Beginning with the story of a couple by the name of Zecharias and Elizabeth. Now, we know them as the parents of John the Baptist. We also know that Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. But as we are going to see tonight, they actually played a very important role in the story that leads up to Christmas. So I would like for you to... Uh, go with me in your mind back about 2,020 some odd years ago, back to first century Israel, close to the year zero, we would call it, and go visit with me the temple where this older man, don't exactly know how old, but certainly old enough that he thought that 
the time for he and his wife to bear ch- to have children was gone. And meet this man by the name of Zacharias. Zacharias was a Levite. Uh, one of his jobs was uh, to take care of things in the temple. And they had kind of a rotation system set up in which at certain times certain members of the families would come in. And for most of the Levites, they would only get one opportunity in their entire life to actually go into the temple and perform the duties that were there. And on this particular occasion... Verse number 5 of Luke 1 says that there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us how old they were, but we do know they were well-stricken. How many of you sometimes... Never mind, I won't ask that question. So here he is, he's, he's doing his job, verse 8, it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense, and there appeared unto him the angel of the Lord standing by the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So as Zacharias is doing his job in the temple, and this day it was burning incense, an angel from heaven appeared to him with a very special message. Said, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? We went on to say, what prayer? And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. I believe that what this scripture is saying is that this this problem of not being able to have children is something that had been on Elizabeth and Zacharias's heart for many many years. And and we know at least for Zacharias's sake that he had given up at this point. For years maybe they had prayed about whether or not God would bless them with a child and it seemed like to Zacharias that that prayer had not been heard. But the angel assures him, yes, your prayer has been heard and your child will bear you a son and and this son is going to be special. And the angel went on to explain to Zacharias that his son not only would be named John, but that he would have a special job and that job would be to be the forerunner of Christ. This is going all the way back to Old Testament prophecy at the end of the book of Malachi chapter 4. God promised that He would send someone to prepare the way for the Messiah. He would send Elijah, one who would go forth in the spirit of Elijah, to prepare people. And this child that was going to be born to Zacharias and Elizabeth was going to be that child. 
Now, if you're Zacharias and you're listening, or as you're listening to this story, you're probably thinking, if I'm him, I'm elated. I'm ecstatic. I am so excited to receive this good news. Obviously, my first response to such wonderful information would be, praise the Lord. But that's not what he said. Look at verse 18. Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. In other words, he said, how do I know that what you're saying is true? His response was a response of doubt. You know, when Gabriel appeared to Mary, she asked a similar question. She said when, Mary, when Gabriel told Mary that she would bear a child, she said, how can this be seeing I know not a man? But her question was not asked from a standpoint of doubt. Her question was not, prove to me what it, that what you're saying is true. She was asking for information. How is this going to happen? She didn't understand. She believed, but she wanted to understand. Zacharias did not believe. He wanted further proof. His question or his statement came from a position of doubt. And so the angel responded in verse 19, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Here it is, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. He said, do you want proof, Zacharias, that what I say is true? Here's your proof. You will not be able to say another word until the child is born. If you're going to use your words to express doubt, maybe it'd be better if you just didn't have any words to use right now. And so, for sake of time, we won't read uh, uh, the middle portion of, our, of, of chapter 1 here, but, but uh, Zacharias comes back out and he, he can't talk. And everybody's wondering what in the world went on, and, and he has no other way to communicate to people except for gestures or writing something down. But sure enough, in a short period of time, God's word was fulfilled and Elizabeth was with child. When she was six months along, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, gave her that wonderful news. Mary came and visited with Elizabeth for a while, approximately three months as best we can tell from the narrative of Scripture. But then she went home and shortly after that, Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, verse 57. And she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they circumcised the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. So it was tradition that the firstborn son would carry on the family name, and they thought, well, it would be great just to name him after his father. So everybody said, let's call him Zacharias. This is kind of a funny scene to me. I mean, can you imagine that if your child was born and everybody just, you know, came rushing to the hospital to visit you, and they said, you know what, we've decided that we're going to name him whatever, you know, such and such. You'd probably think, don't I get a vote in this? (laughs) You know? But everybody's like, no, 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 we're going to call him Zacharias. 
But Elizabeth, apparently Zacharias had communicated with her. Again, it would have been through writing, mostly probably, uh, that what had happened and uh, that he was to be called John. And Elizabeth believed and she obeyed and she said, no, his name isn't Zacharias. His name is John. And so everybody's like, what do you mean his name is John? What do you say, Zacharias? Well, he doesn't say anything. That's kind of the point here, right? Again, I have to chuckle at this, this, this story because... This lady just gave birth, and she said, no, I want to call my son John. And everybody's like, nah, I don't don't get it. So they turned to Zacharias. And so they made signs to his father, verse 62, and what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table, and he wrote saying, his name is John. Notice that word is. Don't, he didn't say will be or should be. It already is. <laughs> Zacharias had already made up his mind. He'd spent the last months not being able to get a word in edgewise <laughs> at all. And he said, enough of this. The angel said, it's John, it's John. There's no debate. Case closed. And they marveled all. And notice verse 64. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake. Now, hold on just a second. Remember, the very last thing he said nine months prior to that was essentially, prove it. How do I know what you're saying is true? That's the last thing he spoke until verse 64. His tongue was loosed and he spake, and here it is, and praised God. He praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt about them, and all the sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all that heard, heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias, verse 67, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. For the time that we have left tonight, I would like for us to look at the remainder of chapter 1 at Zacharias's song. What, he, what is recorded for us here was really a psalm of praise to God. These are the first words that came out of his mouth. After nine months of total silence, I think he learned his lesson. That God is worthy of our praise. You know, at Christmas time, it ought to be a time of joy. It ought to be a time of festivity and celebration. We ought to have fun. But amidst all of that, we ought to praise the Lord because He has done so much for us. Tonight, I want you to notice with me several things that Zacharias specifically praised God for. And these are things that you and I can and should still praise God for today. And no matter what else may be going on in our lives, these are things that are true that God has blessed us with that we ought to be grateful for and we ought to praise His name for. Father, help us as we look at these truths about You, Lord, that we would see them not as just some some abstract concept, but that we would understand that these are absolute truths about You that we personally benefit from. Lord, may we be grateful 
as we ought to be and praise your name as we should. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me again at verses 68 and 69. As Zacharias begins this psalm of praise, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. The first truth that Zacharias praises God for here is the truth of God's personal presence with us. God's personal presence. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited. Notice that word, visited, and redeemed his people. The word visited here has the idea of to come for the purpose of helping. So when we talk about visiting somewhere, we usually think of it just in terms of we're going to go stay there for a little while, maybe you know hang out with some people, maybe do a few fun things, and then we'll go back home. But the idea of the word here was really much deeper than that. It wasn't just that God has come to spend a little bit of time and then He was going to go back home, but that God has come for a specific purpose. That Jesus Christ would one day come for the specific purpose of delivering His people from their sins. Zacharias praised the Lord that the Lord Himself had visited, had come to His people to help them. Psalm 46 and verse number 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I'm so thankful that God has promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that no matter what difficulty we may be going through in life, God is indeed there with us. He's a very present help. He is really, really there, is what the psalmist is saying. Hebrews 13.5 tells us, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee. That's God's promise to us. You don't have to wonder, is God with me? Because the answer is yes. You have the promise of His personal presence. Joshua 1.9 is a favorite verse of mine. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And Zacharias recognized that what was unfolding in his family and right before his very eyes was the promise that God would come to earth and rescue his people. He understood as a priest, as an expert in the Old Testament, when that angel said, your son's going to go forth in the spirit of Elias and prepare the way for the coming Lord. And the, he understood what all that meant. He knew that the, that, the, that the events of history were about to unfold in front of him that it was God going to come and rescue His people. And so he says, Bless the Lord, for He hath visited and redeemed His people. We ought to praise God for His personal presence. Number two, we, we ought to praise God for His powerful redemption. God didn't just come and the flesh is... The Lord Jesus Christ didn't just live on this earth and experience humanity for a little while and say, all right, I've had a good time. I'm going to go back to heaven now. No, He came for a reason. He expressed it this way. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose was not only to show us how to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. It was not only to demonstrate in His actions and His words what true righteousness is. That was not His only purpose. He came so that we might be saved, so that we might be redeemed from our sins. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross and when He shed His blood for us, He did that so that we could be redeemed in whom we have forgiveness and whom we have redemption, rather, even the forgiveness of our sins, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. To be redeemed literally means to be bought, to be purchased back. And what Jesus did for us was pay the price for our sin so that we might be restored to right relationship with God. Notice verse number 69. Zechariah says that God had raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. This imagery here of a horn of salvation is a little bit foreign to us. We don't usually speak that way, but it was a very um, common expression in the Old Testament using the image of a horn to, uh, to illustrate power or authority. And you, so you think about, uh, you think about certain animals that have horns, like a, a big long horn steer, right? I mean, that's a big, powerful animal. And of, and of all of the powerful features of that animal, which would you probably fear the most? That horn. <laughs> because if that thing skewers you, you are done for, right? And so the horn was a, a symbol of power, a symbol of authority. And so what he's saying here is not that Jesus is going to come and just save us a little bit, but he's going to save us with power. It's going to be done in an authoritative fashion. Because when Jesus saves us, he saves us completely. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, a lot of religious groups and churches and all different uh, cults and things like that, they teach a a hybrid type salvation. They'll say, well, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do a lot of good works. You have to join the church, or you have to do this or that and the other. And what they're saying is, is that Jesus is not able to save you completely. You have to do part of the work. He's only done so much. Now it's up to you to do the rest. No, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, to the extreme. He is able to save us completely. Not only that, He's able to save us eternally. This is a powerful redemption. That our redemption is not just for a short period of time, but it is for all of eternity. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1 and verse number 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What was he talking about? What did Paul commit to God against that future day that he's referencing a day of judgment, a day of in eternity? What did he commit to God? His soul. And Paul said, I am persuaded, I am convinced that He is able to keep, to guard, to protect my soul. Jude verse 24, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. God's able to save. He is able to keep. 
He is able to save us to the uttermost. That is powerful redemption. And listen, there may be a lot of things going wrong in your life right now, but if you're saved, you have something to praise God for. He has redeemed you from your sins. He has given you eternal life. Your home is in heaven with Him for all of eternity. He praised God for His personal presence and His powerful redemption. But number three, He praised God for promises kept. Look at verse 70 here in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias continues his song, As he spake, as the Lord spake, by the mouth of His holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He sware to our father Abraham. He said, God has kept His promise. And He literally goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes all the way back to the very beginning when God first gave His word to man in the garden And ever since then, as He spake by the mouth of His holy prophets, He has performed the mercy promised to our fathers. And He has remembered His holy covenant. Now for Zacharias, this had a special meaning. Because his son, John, his birth and his life was a fulfillment of God's promise. And it's actually the very last promise, the last prophecy that God gave in the Old Testament from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. The Lord said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." That was God's promise. I will send Elijah. He will prepare the way of the Lord. And the angel has said, Zacharias, your son is that one. Zacharias was watching God's promises fulfilled through his family and in his lifetime. His birth was a fulfillment of God's promise given to him there in the temple when the angel Gabriel said, your wife's going to have a son. Now, it was miraculous enough that they were going to have a child at all. But not only that, the, the angel got the gender right. We're going to have a son. And just as God kept His promises in the Old Testament, and just as God kept His promise to Zechariah, God will keep His promise to you. God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? God will keep His promises to you. Every promise that God has made in His Word is a promise that you can count on. Because 2 Corinthians one twenty says, For all the promises of God in Him, that is in Christ, are yea, that is definite, yes, absolutely. And in Him, amen, under the glory of God of God by us. God keeps His promises. Think back over your life for just a moment right now and take some inventory of the promises that God has kept to you. Promises of provision, promises of endurance, promises of protection, promises of comfort, promises of peace. Think about all the promises that God has kept in your life. 
and praise Him for it. Number four, he praised God for the privilege to serve. Look at verse 74. That, we would, that He would grant us, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. Here's what, here was Zacharias's attitude. It is an honor and it is a blessing to be able to serve the Lord. He praises God that he gets to serve the Lord and to serve Him without fear. He's not serving God from a standpoint of, well, if I don't, if I don't serve Him, He's going to strike me dead. No. He gets to serve God with a heart of love. And He gets to do so in holiness and righteousness, not because of anything that He did, but because, look at verse 74, because He delivered us out of the hand of our enemies. Look, Satan was our master and is our enemy. And before we were saved, we were slaves to him. But when we received Christ as our Savior, we were freed from sin and Satan so that we can serve God, not out of fear of God, a, a, a terror of him, but out of love and out of a heart full of gratitude. Romans chapter 6 says, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. When you were saved, your life was hid with Christ in God. You were baptized into his death. And so that the death of Jesus freed you from your sin. But it didn't free you from your sin so you could just go and do whatever you want. You were freed from your sins so that you can serve the Lord. And now we can serve God without fear. And we can do it in holiness and righteousness. And notice the end of verse 75. All the days of our life. Do you really believe that it's a privilege to be able to serve the Lord? It is. But do you believe it? Or do you look at the things that you're expected to do for God and say, oh, I got to do this. If I don't do this, I just know something bad's going to happen. That is not a right attitude. That's not serving God in love. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And if that is how you're approaching your service to the Lord, you're missing the point. You don't have to serve God. You get to serve God. And that's what Zacharias is saying here. Praise the Lord that we can serve Him without fear. Notice next that he praised God for the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 76, And thou, thou child shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt... Go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. He's now speaking in this psalm about His own Son. Verse 77, To give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. He got it. He understood. He knew what John's purpose was. It was to go and preach and prepare people to receive the Messiah. 
God in His wisdom ordained that the gospel would be spread by word of mouth, by people verbally proclaiming the truth. And Zechariah, as he blessed the Lord, he also blessed the Lord that God in His wisdom had ordained His Son to be one of those with a special calling on His life to go and eventually be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now that is not our calling. We are not called to be John the Baptist. We're called to be the one that God created us to be. But as a New Testament saint, that means that every one of us is also called to preach the gospel. And again, that is something that we should praise the Lord for. God in His wisdom ordained it. 1 Corinthians 1.21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God said, this is the way it's going to be. People will proclaim the truth of the gospel and others will choose to believe or not. But that's how it will be done. God could have done it any way He wanted to. He could have written the gospel in the skies. He could have given the animals the ability to talk. Jesus even said that the rocks could cry out. But God said, no. My disciples will preach. And we should praise the Lord for that. If you know Christ as your Savior tonight, you ought to praise the Lord for it because somebody obeyed God's command so that you heard the gospel and you were, you've been saved. If, if, if no one had obeyed God's command to preach the gospel, you never would have heard and you would not be saved. If it weren't for someone sharing the gospel with you, you would not know. How shall they call on Him and who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody must proclaim. And listen, it should bring joy to us whenever the gospel is proclaimed. Don't let the preaching of the gospel become commonplace and boring to you. Anytime a lost person hears the gospel, that's exciting because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let me use the last couple nights just as an illustration of this. Friday night and Saturday night here with our Christmas journey. We had a number, we had dozens of visitors coming through, and I know that in that crowd there were a number of unsaved people. And you know what? At every stop that they made here, as they heard these uh, people portraying characters in the Christmas story, you know what they, you, they were hearing threaded throughout all of that? The gospel. The fact that a Savior's been born, that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. They were hearing that. And you know what? Praise the Lord for that. That ought to make us happy. Sometimes we get discouraged because we think, well, yeah, we're, we're preaching the gospel to a lot of people, but there aren't a lot of people responding to the gospel. Well, certainly we want more people to respond to the gospel, but let's not get discouraged about what's not happening. Let's be encouraged that the gospel is going forth. Be encouraged that a Philadelphia Baptist church still exists. But there is a place where people actually care about the truth and actually care about people too and want to get that truth to the people so that they can be saved. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, 
and I therein do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. Zacharias praised God for the preaching of the gospel. And finally, Zacharias praised the Lord for peaceful guidance. Look at the end of verse 78 and verse 79. Whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word day spring there is just an old testament or an old English word for dawn, the dawning of the day. When that sun just comes up over the horizon and the first rays of its light hits the ground and you begin to see what previously had been hidden by the darkness of the night. That's the day spring. And Zacharias is alluding to the Messiah who's going to come, who will be the light of the world. And in John chapter 1, the Bible says, In Him, that is in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the day spring to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. See, the darkness that mankind is in is not a, it's not a mental darkness. It's not an emotional darkness. It's not a physical darkness. It's a spiritual darkness. It's the shadow of death that is upon everyone because all have sinned and the penalty of sin is death. That's the darkness that man is in. But Jesus has come and the light has dawned so that we might see, so that our feet might be guided into the way of peace. That peace first comes when we have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God in our hearts. And when you go through dark times in your life, you can praise God that the light is in you and with you, guiding you in the way of peace. The psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Praise God for His peaceful guidance. As we think about what Zacharias learned and how he praised the Lord here. I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. Again, Christmas should be a time of rejoicing. It should be a time of celebration. But you know, sometimes there's some mixed feelings there for various reasons. One survey by the American Psychological Association found that 38% of people, that is almost 4 out of 10, feel that their stress levels increase during the holiday season. Statistically, things like depression, substance abuse, even suicidal thoughts and attempts 
can be increased during the holiday season. And I want to encourage you tonight. It's not wrong to feel sad. It's not wrong to grieve over losses. It's not wrong to have sorrow. But it is wrong to forget that we have so much to be grateful for. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of all that God has done for us. And we need to praise God for it. Zacharias had to go many months learning his lesson before he could finally speak again. And when he did, he praised God. And for you and me tonight, may it not take such a drastic measure for us to learn that we have so much to praise Him for. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I know it has encouraged me so many times in our life. Lord, there have been struggles. There have been sorrows. There's been grief. There's been loss. There's been pain. But through it all, You have been faithful. You have kept Your promises. You've been right there guiding, giving the the grace that is needed. And Lord, I just want to praise You tonight for being such a good God. And pray that You would get from me and from all of us the glory that You deserve. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.